Welcome back to Man Catholic Podcast. I'm Steve Fries. I'm Thomas Wirtz. And I'm Brock Martin. I'm Dr. Andrew Swafford. Good to be with you all. Yeah, baby. Today we're asking the question, do men need to read? This time. Today we're here with Dr. Andrew Swafford. He's a professor at Benedictine College out in Madison, Kansas. And what I am so excited about Andrew Swafford being here with us today is Dr. Swafford was a football player for Benedictine College, had an incredible conversion, and is now like he he is one of the biggest, strongest men I know, but he's also one of the most intellectual men that I know. And he just can talk circles around a lot of people. Wait a second. You should have seen Swafford his freshman year. Because he was massive. massive. Yeah. <laughs> and and so what he's really embraced is the topic that we're going after now. We've had a podcast episode called, you know, Should Christian Men Lift Weights? This is going after the mind and, and how we can strengthen ourselves intellectually. So, Dr. Swafford, you know, I know you're excited to talk about the uh, topic today. Just want to pass it to you and hear some of your initial thoughts. I'm just stoked to be with you all, guys. You, you guys are awesome. I look up to you all. You know, I, I just think there's so much coming at us, you know, I mean, whether it's like Twitter, social media, TV, conversations. And so, you know, one thing that kind of really uh, sticks deeply into my heart is that today you're not going to get through this without conviction. I don't think you could ever get through without conviction. And so just kind of take a moment to say, well, who's forming my thoughts, my mind, my heart, and how is all that kind of playing into one another? You know, and there's just a, you know, do you guys read? Should we read? It's not like everybody's got to be a PhD. Like you don't, you don't need a lot, but you need to, we need to form ourselves in that way. So we really have the strength and the courage to go against the grain. You know, I love what you said there. If we are not forming our minds, someone or someone else is. It could Amen. be news channels. It could be social media. It could be other books that we're reading. It's certainly Netflix and TV shows and movies. Those things are actually forming our hearts and our minds. Yep. And we have to be one aware of that. And then we also have to counteract those things with good books, one of which you have a million behind you uh, on the video <laughs> here. Um, but w- yeah, if yeah, we're yeah. not doing it, someone else someone is. else will. Yeah. I used to love Twitter. I'm not on it anymore because I just wanted to read the the Twitter feeds because it was they were short, whatever the 120 characters. But it was so dumb because that was my ingestion of information was these small yeah. little tweets, and it's just crazy. And I know, and I w- would love for you to to talk about this. I know it's super important to shape our mind for a lot of reasons, not just because what Steve said, if we're not pass- actively doing it, other people will be, even if we don't want that, right? Because we will receive from billboards to commercials, whatever it is. But St. Paul also hit on this in Romans 12 too. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good acceptable and perfect. Why do you think it's so important for us to be shaping our mind? Hmm. I mean, it's, you can't get through this with a, uh, you know, a a, a Christian heart and a secular head. Like Uh. it's just not going to work. And we talk about your friendships, talk about being a father, raising kids. There's just a need to, you know, what does our Lord say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and Mind. mind mind right so how can i make that a holy offering to him and just to kind of reiterate what you're all saying c.s lewis has a great line in mere christianity that neither this belief nor any other will remain alive unless it's fed if our faith means something to us we got to feed it we got to with faith and reason you know there's a in my christian moral theology class i do a tech fast 48 hours um mm-hmm. they can make they can make and receive phone calls but no texting no surfing the web no social media um they can do work and school emails and they complain about it, but like so often in the reflections, they consistently report 
reduced anxiety, uh, better sleep, more productive, better conversations. Like how much of our lives are wasted by that? That I'm not anti-social media, but that kind of mindless scrolling. Yep. And then, you know, this gets into deeper things too. I mean, I love reflecting on sloth, the deadly sin of mm-hmm. sloth or achadium. Uh, just that kind of ache in our heart. And we could talk more about what that is in terms of this kind of, it's like a sense of meaninglessness, right? We're bored, we're unfulfilled, and we just fill the gap with these, um, you know, kind of unintentional, unreflective scrolling. Uh, how Swaff. much of our life is kind of being being spent? And um, I, I just keep going back. Who's forming our mind or heart, right? And so and if we, as you've said before, you know, our intellect forms our will and our will and our passions, and it all doubles back too. So like what's forming my mind and my heart? And if I'm not attentive to what's coming in downstream, no matter how hard right. I try, I'm not going to be able to keep this thing pure mm. and holy and stay the course and run the race and win. Can you dig, go back, you, you mentioned you can't have a Christian art in a secular mind. That is a spectacular yeah. yep. line. And then again, that comment you made of the intellect forms our will. Can you help us process, what does that mean that our intellect forms our will? What are you talking about? Well, I mean, so we, we can go in lots of different areas. I think today one danger is to just kind of learn our catechism against someone. Mm-hmm. Right? There's like, mm-hmm. how do I respond to this? How do I respond to that? How do I respond to that? We need to know who we are know our tradition, know our faith, and we'll be able to make the moves we need to make. And so let me just maybe give you just one example. I mean, when we talk about the natural world, obviously we can look at that in different ways. We can look at it as, as molecules in motion, as atoms in motion, and you know whether it's in physics or chemistry or biology, et cetera. But at a deeper level, we've always had a, a deeper notion of what nature is all about as, as coming from the hand of the creator, as the embodiment of divine wisdom. And so when we think about like sexual issues, for example, you know, there's, it's, it's not enough just to like point to sociology and not at this point to, okay, you, you know, a two parent home does best and this and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all well and good. It's all great. But let's get down to the bedrock natural order of what's going on here and what, what sex is for and how it's about babies and bonding. I guess what I'm getting at, and these are things that all of us are probably aware of, but what does it mean to think of my body as created, that I'm not the owner, I'm the steward of my, even my own body, my own life? And what does it mean to think about the natural order as coming from the hand of God as the embodiment of divine wisdom? And how might, and even when we're talking about whether it's same-sex acts, contraception. I mean, I will use this language with, with, with students and colleagues and peers, and some of them do not agree with me, but they will often say, if I started where you're starting from, I see where you end up. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we just need to be intellectually honest and acknowledge from the full breath from which we draw of faith and reason. But we have to know who we are, we have to know our story. If we walk around with kind of a materialistic worldview that nature is just a bunch of bumpy molecules and nothing more, uh, and, and we lose sense of its purpose, its meaning, it's coming from the hand of the creator, and then we try to kind of have a Christian heart, and, and, and then we, we're surprised by these tensions, um, I just think that's problematic, and that only goes so far, and then we just don't know how to deal with these things. So I think having a real big, robust sense of God and nature, God and science, how they connect so that we're one not afraid but also honest about where we're coming from swaf i love what you're saying and i i want to ask you so for your typical guy who's listening to this that that can be a daunting task to to have a robust understanding of god and nature can seem like a man this is going to take me years and in a certain sense it it, we're going to be doing this for the rest of our lives 
But for your typical guy who's just getting exposed to the depth of Catholicism, maybe give us some practicals of where where would you start? What what would be some, you know, maybe some things to read or some things to think about? I also, you're a humble guy. I want to plug a book that you've written, uh, John Paul II to Aristotle and Back Again. I've read this and I know that it kind of flushes out some of what you're getting at. But other than your book, which which I want you to plug too, but what are some things that our guys and our listeners can start doing it to practically gain this robust understanding of God and nature? I mean, some of this is deep, but I, I'd recommend everybody read the Regensburg Address by Pope Benedict. Uh, it's an address he gave in September of 2006. And in some ways, it really is a, in, in not that many pages, right? It'll take you 15, 20 minutes tops. Um, it's a critique of modernity in terms of modernity's view of reason. And, and I deal with a number of these things in, in that book that Brock just mentioned, John Paul II, Aristotle, back again. And one of the things he points out, because in the culture is this, you know, God is anti-science and you got to pick one. It's religion or science and they're at war. And that just historically is not accurate. As many of us know, many historians have, have done the work that really it had, there's a lot of Christian philosophical assumptions and presuppositions that actually helped science get off the ground. Um, like the creation is good, like it's coming from the hand of an all wise creator. Like I bet there would be laws of nature that we could then understand and it's good to get our hands dirty and study them. So what Benedict just in a nutshell says in there is science is possible because it is ordered. Right? A scientist doesn't invent the laws of nature. He discovers them. He or she discovers them. The only reason science is possible is because order is already built into creation. It's embedded in creation. And what that means ultimately is that creation was thought into existence. And so in a mysterious way, and the catechism even points this direction, catechism 159, that even in the scientists, the chemists, the physicists, they are retracing God's thoughts after him because creation was first thought into existence like a building. Right. It first exists in the mind of the architect and then is embodied in brick and mortar. And we look at the building like, oh, I see the rationality embedded in it. So I think that fundamental posture makes us not afraid of science, Hmm. authentic science. Uh, And it gives us a renewed appreciation for creation. And then we want to do a little bit more. And and as Brock mentioned, I I do this in that book. But I just I think um, another great book is Leon Cass, The Hungry Soul. Uh, Leon Cass is a medical doctor, but he's been teaching great books at the University of Chicago for a long time. Uh, a great job of moving from nature to ethics, because so often we think of ethics as just values that come up out of the sky and we're just yelling at each other. But to kind of move from nature to ethics organically, I think goes a long way for our conviction and confidence that this isn't just made up stuff. So uh, I mean, we, we could go down a lot of different rabbit holes, but those, you know, those are maybe a couple that I'd start with on that. Those issues are hard, but I think the answer is not just yelling at the culture saying we need faith as well as science. We also need to give a, a deeper account of what reason is all about. Mm. So off, I think you mentioned a couple of things that I want to go back to. One of them there. I don't know if you said it or maybe um, what you said put this thought in my brain, but I think oftentimes we want to learn about things in order to win arguments. And there's so much more to our conversation yeah. than that, right? It's about our own personal formation and yeah. our growth in this relationship with our Lord is what we're really going after, which you did mention we need to know our story. And I think there's two ways to do that. One is to know scripture, the, the salvation history story. And there's great resources out there to help us through that. You know, Jeff Cavins has written books. Dr. Scott Hahn has written books. 
Father Mike Schmitz is doing Bible in a year right now. We need to know that story, that the creation of the world was intended for a certain reason. Our being in that story is very specific. Where we are right now in this time, the Lord has desired that from the beginning of time. And and what is our role in that? But also, what's this relationship, knowing our story with the Catholic faith. And you just uh, wrote a, a book and a video and a workbook that is brand new. And it's called What We Believe the Beauty of the Catholic Faith. And I want you to talk on a little, those two things, if you would, is how we need to intellectually understand the greater story, the bigger story, salvation history, and how we also need to understand the beauty of the Catholic faith and the role that that plays in that greater story. Gosh, awesome, awesome stuff. Yeah, what we believe to be the Catholic faith, it's available through Ascension Press. Um, it's, you know, this back to the Benedict, the Regensburg address to Benedict, he talks there about the marriage of Jerusalem and Athens, right? So, I mean, God is the author of the orders of nature and grace of all truth. The medievals like to say God gave us two books, the book of the Bible and the book of nature. And to conceive of them as books means there's an author guiding the story. Mm. Uh, you know, we look at John's gospel, Jesus is the Logos, the word made flesh. And so you've got this, this salvation history that culminates in Christ. And you, you have the church fathers who see, gosh, it, it, Jesus is not merely man. He's the eternal son, eternally begotten son. He's the word made flesh. And so all truth participates in a Christocentric way. All truth mysteriously points to Christ, whether, whether you know, Aristotle and Plato and Socrates realized it or not. And so the church really from the beginning, there's an assimilating uh, factor where like all truth is God's truth. And so all of it is, this is kind of the Christian humanism that comes out of JP2, especially in Vatican II and, and throughout the whole tradition that Jesus teaches definitively what it means to be human, but all of it is authentically human. All that is true, good, and beautiful can be brought into the gospel. Uh, and so these two lungs, these two wings, as JP2 used, of faith and reason, mm-hmm. by which we soar to the heavens, soar to our Lord, that I think is what the Catholic faith is really all about. So we've never been afraid of reason, but when reason runs on its own in a closed-in manner, that's when it runs into these cul-de-sacs. But the reason that's animated by faith is what built the Gothic cathedrals, mm-hmm. is what, you know, Copernicus was a Polish monk, Father George Lemaitre, the founder of the Big Bang Theory, a Catholic priest. So, yeah, in this study, what we believe, I mean, we're kind of retelling the Catholic story. What does it mean to be Catholic in a joyful way that is confident and uncompromising? That, I think, is our task today. Like the JP2. Because I think for a lot of people today, it's like, if I'm going to get along with the world, I've got to be a relativist. Mm. If I'm going to have conviction, i got to live in a ghetto. How can I be a convicted Mm. disciple in the world, but not of it? Mm. And I think that's our task. But I think to go back to what you said earlier, Steve, we can't just learn our catechisms against someone. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like, yes, we have to respond to things, but if we know our faith and know our truth and know not, it's not just our truth, it's the truth with faith and reason in a deep and compelling way, we'll be able to respond with confidence. But the church is not at her best when she's simply just, you know, like whack-a-mole against uh, other people. The church is at her best when she's running to Jesus with confidence and joy and peace. That makes me think of Frank Sheed's um, analogy. I think it's in Theology and Sanity, where he talks about you can't have a worldly mind with Catholic patches, that catechism against things. You have to have a fully Catholic mind, yeah. which I think, that, again, that's a great book, by the way, of, I think one record totally Theology yep. and Sanity, Frank yep. Sheed, or Theology for Beginners is is a smaller bite for those of you that maybe are, are Nervous that theology and sanity. When you see it online, it's it's a pretty thick it's book, but it's super easy to process. But that idea of our what what our mind, how we formed our mind, what we know, is giving us that vision to know then what to choose. 
It's yeah. just so simple, but we forget how important that is. If we don't know the good, it's hard to choose it because we don't know what we're trying yeah. and supposed right. to choose. Yeah. And so in all of this our is minds, forming our hearts too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, dis that distorts our perception of the good. That's so true. hundred yeah, percent. I love it. So Swaf, I would love to get practical. So if I were, if I were to come to you as a, as a former football player at the Benedictine college uh, and ask you, what should my life look like if I want to get in better shape? You'd have a lot of practical, like this is how many times a week you should be working out. These are some of the workouts you should be doing. A point we were talking about before we hopped on to record is that we're hylomorphs. We're body-soul composites, right? I am a body-soul composite. You are a body-soul composite. And it's really easy for us to get practical with the stuff with the body, harder when we're talking about the soul. In terms of sharpening our mind, feeding our mind, gaining a greater understanding of these bigger stories, what, what should that look like for your average guy who's, you know, a college student going to class, uh, a guy out of college who's working, maybe has a young family or an older gentleman? Like what, give us some practical insights in, into the way of life that somebody who's thinking about this and forming their mind is doing with some consistency. I think number one, be patient, go slow. You don't have to take this all in one bite, right? Just, just get like, like zero times affinity is still zero, but small increments will build up over time, right? So I think just don't be overwhelmed, pick one thing, stick with it. Even if it's 15 minutes a day, fine, whatever. I mean, just start small. I think C.S. Lewis is a great place to start. I mean, um, you know, Mere Christianity is a classic. Uh, his Some of his fiction is fantastic, though, like Great Divorce and Screwtape Letters. Uh, and there's many others. I mean, the Space Trilogy. But Space those Trilogy. are the three I think I might point someone to right away. Mere Christianity, Great Divorce, and Screwtape Letters. I think even reading fiction, for a lot of us, that's hard, especially for guys, I think. I mean, some people love literature, which is awesome. But we can be so, like, practical. I, I, there is a contemplative dimension to literature. That it, this, I have to force myself to do it because I'm like – but and I think C.S. Lewis is a great way because it's substantive, it's intellectually forming, but it's also a literary because uh, it slows us down. I think one thing to think about is, uh, and I heard a homily on this one time that I thought was fantastic, uh, looking at Thomas, the apostle, as an embodiment of like reason, and John as an embodiment of like the mystical tradition, the devotional mm -hmm. life, and Peter as an embodiment of like the apostolic life, if that makes sense. All, any one of those by themselves will kind of get derailed, right? So if you only have Thomas, you might become a rationalist, right? Mm -hmm. saying, you know, Tom, I'm talking about Aquinas, Thomas the Apostle. I won't believe unless I can see and touch, et cetera. Uh, if you only have John, the danger with, with, with the mystical life alone is you might fall into like superstition and the like. Um, mm -hmm. If you only have the apostolic life embodied in Peter, you, you might think of the church as just like a social outreach program, right? Mm -hmm. But the three together kind of can rub off on each other. I think that's the best of the Catholic tradition is to form our, stretch our mind intellectually, form our hearts devotionally, and, and get out and get our hands dirty and serve someone else like St. Peter and so many others. I think, and I think the other thing I'd I, I, I advise is we're probably all drawn more to one than the other. So on occasion, force yourself to do what you're not drawn to. If you love mm -hmm. the rational life, force yourself to read something devotionally. If you're more of the devotional type, force yourself on occasion to stretch your mind and, and kind of round out the picture as a whole. That's really good practical advice, especially that last part of do kind of what you're uncomfortable with. In some right. sense, with your intellectual, but like an formation. athlete, right? What do you you want yeah. to practice what you're good at? But if you really want to be good, you got to make your weaknesses into strengths. Yeah, no, it's spectacular. That. Yeah, it's um, the 15 minutes a day is great advice. If if guys are on a commute, they can get an audio book. That's mm -hmm. that's it's really hard to listen to G.K. Chesterton on audio. I found because I'm not that smart, but but find something that that you can yeah. do or carve that time early in the morning if you like to get up or late at night. But start somewhere, and that yeah. I think yeah. is great, right? It's is it if atomic you can do it habits? With somebody. 
in say the family. I think that makes it easier, right? I mean, Wait, like, say, Andrew, know, say that again. Maybe you've got older kids. You can maybe read it to them or with them mm-hmm. or as, as I, your wife. I don't know. I mean, the more I found, the more prayer and things like that can be done communally as a family, the more likely I am to do it because mm-hmm. I'm not having to like run off on my own. Mm-hmm. That's not going to work for everybody. But if you can, that's a fun thing to share together. Yep. You know, I've seen two mistakes made when trying to approach scripture. Um, some people say, you know, I, I, I don't know the Bible. I need to know the Bible. I'm going to start a Genesis and I'm going to finish in Revelation. I'm going to read this cover book to cover. cover to cover. And they get, we all know the joke, they get to Levitic, Leviticus, Leviticus and they're like, what is going oh, on? You know, I'm done. And they put the thing down. I think the other mistake that people make is they just like flip through and just open up the Bible and they're like, oh, I'm just going to read a little bit of, of whatever page I open up to. And then they're also confused because they're like, what is going on? There's yeah. no context. Um, one great piece of advice that Curtis Martin has given us here in Focus is open up the New Testament, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then start over. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Get to know who Christ is mm. and and just get to know that part of the story really, really well. And then we can add some of these other supplemental resources from the Old Testament and how that is setting up the New Testament and how Christ fulfilled the Old Testament. And now it's starting to make a little bit more sense. And then we can supplement with Paul's letters, etc. now that we kind of know that story. So I, I would give that as a practical insight in, a, in approaching scripture and reading scripture is start with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, add Acts, which is kind of that, that Peter's approach to go and evangelize, get your hands dirty, and then start over and go back and read again. Yeah, I love that. It's the last, what, 20 years or so, the Catholics, at least in our circle, an Ascension Press has done a really, really good job on that is that idea of the narrative books in the scriptures. Yep. That you're saying like, figure out Jesus. And then when you go back and look at the rest of that story, that salvation history, mm-hmm. which you already asked and mentioned, it's just such a great practical point to understand that big, scary book called the Bible, right? Right. Well, and I think that's so good, Steve, it, it, uh, because I think there's going to be a temptation to just read books about ideas. And if we don't get into scripture and come face to face with Christ, we don't want the faith and in our intellectual formation to be merely an idea. And, and so I think that roots us into you know, directly in what is so essential. So thank you for saying that, Steve. Amen. What a great topic. Uh, we certainly need to read as men and read more maybe than we probably do. So whatever <laughs> you're reading right now, you could probably read a little bit more. My hand is the first to go up in that scenario. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Andrew Swafford from Benedictine College. Thank you so much. We call him Swaf. Uh, those yes. of us who know him, yeah, we call him Swaf. So Andy, thanks for being here. Uh, so great to have you and we look forward to having you on a future podcast. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure. All right, that's it for the Man Catholic Podcast. We'll see you next time. God bless. Ooh.